0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the So We Speak podcast. I'm thrilled to have one of my favorite guests. This is, I think, three times now on the podcast. I've got Ryan Smith here today, and there's several things I want to talk about. We're going to start out talking about the new Netflix show, Cuties, and uh, use that really as a a moment to talk about some broader cultural implications. Um, Ryan is a pastor at Eagle Heights. He's been a mentor of mine. And at the end, we're going to get into something exciting. He has a new ministry that he's leading called Trust the Circle that uh, I I want to hear about, and I want to talk about some of the ways that you're already pushing back against things like the objectification of children, the sexualization of our culture. Um, I'm really thankful for that ministry, but also uh, for the work that you're doing to combat some of the things we're going to talk about in the first half of the episode. So, Ryan, thanks for being with us.
1: It's an honor. I'm glad to be with you.
0: So I want to kick off. I think most people have probably heard of the movie Cuties. I think there's been enough uproar about it, both on social media. You might have seen it in your Netflix queue for what's been popular in the U.S. Uh, You might have read about it in the Weekly Speak a couple of weeks ago. But for somebody that hasn't or for somebody who's trying to forget what they do know about it, maybe get us (laughs) up to speed a little bit on what this is and why we should care.
1: Yeah, well, it, it, the essence of it it's a it's a movie based on the story of a, an eleven year old girl who has grown up in a somewhat religiously oppressive household, who uh, sees freedom perhaps in encountering a, a a young dance group. You know. It's a, which, you know, we've seen this movie before. Step up one, two, and three, and four, and whatever. Uh, but but anyway, the, the difference is this is a, an 11-year-old girl. The um, way that they develop some of their dance moves and figure out what they should be portraying uh, is through sexually explicit material um, and people that they look to. And so that's that's been the main concern about the movie is that it uh, objectifies and shows 11 um, year old girls uh, doing things with their bodies that <laughs> people shouldn't be watching. Uh, but you know, the, the pushback from it has been, well, this is art. This is a movie. This is in fact talking about how you shouldn't objectify young women, how you shouldn't use your body for sexuality. Um, but it's, it's done so in a movie that, that shows, that shows that.
0: Yeah. There's a lot of different avenues here that I think are indicative of where we are as a culture in a bigger way than just the entertainment industry. Uh, because in some ways the entertainment industry both leads and reflects cultural patterns. So, you know, in, in one way or another, um, our entertainment pushes us down certain roads. I think, you know, A lot of people have talked about how the, one of the most significant things that happened to lead up to same-sex marriage in the United States was the popular portrayal of gay characters in television shows. But at the same time, there's always a little bit of a hesitation in, in the entertainment industry of how far can you push the envelope and still have a popular uh, show or a movie that actually suits people's tastes where they are. Now, the thing that's so alarming is, how have we gotten to a point where a movie like this isn't past that edge of where we have something we're comfortable with? And and honestly, a lot of the pushback is, is this something that's past that edge?
1: Yeah, art and sexuality have always been intertwined. Uh, Art as an expression of of sexuality, because it's a a very emotive, uh, very universal uh, experience. and And so, yeah, just like you just like you said, we we introduce kind of what is already on the tipping point, and we and we, we see it reflected to us in our art. And that's where we see, you know, oh, I, I find this offensive or oh, I okay, I' want to affirm this and push the culture further down the path. And usually that's what ends up happening,
0: yeah, it's hard to it's hard to think of an example where there has been a show or a movie. Uh, or any form of art, honestly, that has led to a retreat in sexual liberation as mm-hmm. opposed to an advance. I mean, I think if you watch the show Will and Grace now, for example, it there's nothing about it that that would seem like it was pushing the envelope at all. But I think it would be hard to argue that that show did anything to restrain um, sexual immorality in our culture. Instead, normalizing is something that that people dismiss, but it is a very real phenomenon. So when people make slippery slope arguments, for example, the immediate pushback is always, well, this isn't going to cause that, or you're overreacting, or normalization isn't even a thing. Um, And people do this with all kinds of topics, whether it's violence in video games, whether it's objectification in movies and TV shows. But it is hard to think of an example of where uh, a, a show like this has done anything but Further an agenda, even when they're claiming that they're pushing back on it, um, culturally speaking. So, I I guess one of the things I want to say is let's talk briefly about how Netflix has tried to counter the uh, outrage around the show, and then maybe we can dive into what what we think is going on here culturally.
1: Mm, Yeah, that that sounds good. And I I want to I want to be fair. uh, You know, the, the Tim Keller rule: anytime you're arguing against someone or something, you need to fairly represent their, their side. And so, um, I want to say first, I have not seen the movie, uh, in its entirety. I've only seen clips. Uh, the, the clips that I saw were uh, probably what many people have seen around the internet and were disturbing, uh, to me. I also saw the, the initial, um, oh, artwork that they put forward for the movie. And that's, that's initially what, um, what kind of got netflix in some trouble and where they responded is we put out the wrong art we we put out the picture of these young girls in sexually explicit uh, arrangements and in revealing clothes and that's that's not what the movie's about so now they've changed it to, i think it's just a, a picture of one of the girls face uh faces and so that's that's kind of been the argument was we we packaged it wrong um mm-hmm. uh, and what what you've heard, I think, from them is uh, the idea that we want to show that it's bad by showcasing it in a similar way, um, like with Schindler's List, how it was very explicit. It was uh, it, very gratuitous, as some would say, um, but it was doing so in a way that uh, would further a cultural narrative that this is wrong and this is not a direction we want to go Mm -hmm. um the the difficulty is um i don't think at we were at a point in society when schindler's list came out where there was a a a rise or a trend towards nazism um that that issue was kind of resolved As, as you said um with the sexual movements that, that were, that were at, you know, with, with Will and Grace, or I, I remember I'm old enough to remember when Brokeback Mountain came out and, and it was, you know, oh, it's, it's normalizing uh, these, these same sex relationships. That's kind of where we are and why cuties is such, it's not even the movie itself so much as it is the, the time and history that we are in the uh, place in the sexual revolution, uh, wh- whatever you, you want to call it. Um, but where the next domino to fall for a lot of people that are following this in, in conservative and in Christian uh, viewpoints, the next domino to fall is pedophilia. And this isn't out of the norm. I mean, we're looking at ancient Rome. We're looking at any, you know, culture that has opened wide the doors of, of sexual freedom, so to speak, and this is where it naturally goes. And so, but what Cuties has done and what we've seen in uh, articles upholding the movie is that we've seen an, a new vocabulary introduced, particularly with the term child sexuality. Uh, so, to whereas the the narrative is becoming less, should this be shown? But okay, well, well, here's objective child sexuality. What should we do with it? And so it's entering into the fray the idea that children are sexual beings, and so should we. Show that or should we shy away from that? And historically, anytime we assume or present a sexual category, um, we go towards the more open or li- liberal, so so to speak, uh, viewpoint of it. And so that's kind of the concern with, with what Cuties is representing at this moment in time.
0: Yeah, I, I'm really thankful for the way that you've thought about this, for the way that you've um kind of sorted through the main issues here because part of it is we got to keep the main thing the main thing and mm. the main thing is not the advertising that Netflix chose to attach to the movie. I mean the, the some of the background and, and you can find this on on so with the weekly speak episode that was that was about this this was a film that Netflix picked up. It's a French film. I always love how, you know, anything sexual, if you just say, well, it's French, that gives you a lot of leeway as if that, (laughs) you know, there's a lot more artistic license there. Um, Yeah,
1: that that was was one of the things they said. It played really well at Sundance. Yeah, I know. It's it's European.
0: Yeah, I mean, you guys just, your your cultural tastes are too prude, apparently. Uh, The Europeans get this. And it won, you know, some awards and was well received and so Netflix picked it up and put it on their platform. And, my thought initially was, okay, they're they're saying that maybe they portrayed it the wrong way. But when, as you pointed out, no, the issue is actually the content itself. And not just the content itself, what's beneath the content. So the assumptions that are being made, the trends that are taking place in America, I think there is a very real aspect to um, the progression from things like homosexuality. Of course, now we're completely and totally embroiled in... Um, transgenderism, that's something that if you asked somebody 10 years ago, if that would be a mainstream thing, uh, they would have said no. I, def- I mean, how, how, how would rational people go for something like this? Well, here we are. And mm-hmm. I think people still have that same sense when it comes to something like pedophilia or polyamory or whatever the list is. And the the opponents are, are constantly saying, okay, well, you're making a, a huge deal out of nothing. No one's advocating for this. And I want to pick up on something that you said and go back to genre for a minute and talk about how normalization actually happens. You know, if you think about examples like Schindler's List, you have a sympathetic protagonist who is actually fighting against the apparent evil in the movie. So you have Oscar Schindler, who is a complex character, but at the end of the day is the protagonist who is fighting against the evil of Nazism. And the way that characters are portrayed is really important in the effect that the art has on the observer. And you don't have to be an art critic to figure this out. The main character is almost always the most sympathetic character to the audience. And when you think about something like this, there's hardly a more sympathetic group of protagonists than a group of middle school girls. (laughs) <laughs> they, they are – because what they're doing is they're playing against a stock theme, which is young girls should be innocent. And mm-hmm. instead what this, what this movie is, is saying, and you pointed this out, is not just how, what should we do with their sexuality – It's an assertion in placing them in this plot in the way that they have that's saying, okay, they are sexual beings. What are we going to do about it? Or this is their struggle is figuring out their sexuality. Okay, this is just a continuation of the theme that what makes you most human is your sexual identity. But that in and of itself, which is an assumption in so much of our entertainment, is something that as Christians we reject out of hand. Not to the extent that we say that we aren't sexual beings, but that that is not our main identity. In fact, one of the things that the Bible tells us is that sexuality is good. It's mm-hmm. given by God to be in certain boundaries, which I know we're going to talk about later in, in when we talk about Trust the Circle, but notice that at the very most fundamental level, the way that this movie even presents itself is based on three or four layers of assumptions that we do not share as Christians. So if you start that far down the road, you have a sympathetic main character, you are showing explicit scenes and subject matter. There's no way that you're going to have the effect of inducing chastity on the audience. And, and so I spent some time this week trying to think of other shows to compare this to and you know one of them that 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 is an interesting comparison that i haven 't thought a ton about would be something like making a murderer, so hmm. the premise of making a murderer is essentially that the justice system is flawed and there are innocent people behind bars so we're going to show you a case of a person who has been the victim of this they're the main character we 're going to endear them to you and by the end of the movie or by the end of the series i mean. You're going to take their side. Well, how does that happen? Okay, some of it happens on the facts. Some of it happens on whether or not you think the case is really as open-ended as they portray or whether or not you trust certain witnesses or certain circumstances. But some of it is now you've been endeared to this character because you feel like you know them. Okay, another example that's probably a little bit easier to think about is the show 13 Reasons Why that Netflix put out a couple of years ago. So in that that show, you have a protagonist, again, a younger, a high school-age child who takes their life and leaves 13 cassettes or tapes or... Uh, You know messages for the people that they blame essentially for them wanting to commit suicide and so the show ends with a really graphic scene of them killing themselves well when people said this is terrible why would you portray this why would you glorify is the word that we typically why would you glorify something like suicide what did Netflix do okay they turned around and said no 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 we're not glorifying it we're pointing out the evils of the way that people are treated, of bullying, of, you know, the the dynamics of being in school and, and trying to figure out who you are, and the fact that that leads to suicide, which is tragic. Well, what happened was, statistically, there was a spike in young, particularly male, suicides in the wake of the 13 Reasons Why series— And they did it in the exact same way portrayed in the show, both in in terms of how they committed suicide, but also in terms of leaving these notes and Mm -hmm. um, sound bites and videos and things for the people that they were blaming. So it's really hard to think that that show had any effect on raising awareness or preventing suicide. Instead, what it did was it effectively said pretty good people who have had a rough go in life who you probably would like if you met him commit suicide. Well, that's called normalization. That's what that that's what that does is it creates an empathy towards a person or towards a character that you can't help but be sympathetic to their actions. And to me, that's exactly what's going on in in this movie as well.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. It's it's interesting one of the most prominent ways in which a child abuser will groom a victim is th- by introducing pornography, um, and that pornography is usually some kind of soft porn. You know, it's but it's it's something that creates a sexual awareness that was not previously there, perhaps in that in that child. And what it does is it creates an avenue in which um, the abuser. Can have a a bridge, so so to speak, with this individual, but but also it says, you know, this is what's normative, this mm-hmm. is what guys and girls, or you know, whatever the case may be, this is what people do. Um, now you're a child, I'm an adult. Uh, let's take that a step further. Let me let me show you. Let me take you in in that direction, because as you said, eleven year old girls are incredibly Im- impressionable. So so I think not only do you have to look at this from the standpoint of what does this say to society, but what is this putting in the hands of uh, those who are at risk? You know, mm-hmm. perhaps those who are at risk of being an abuser. Uh, one, well, this gives them, uh, if, if there's someone a- a- attracted to, to children, they are certainly would love to watch this show because it, it, it feeds, it feeds that, that desire. Um, when you look at a young child that. um Perhaps it does, does not have a good environment uh, surrounding them that may look at that and say, well, OK, this is an avenue in which this person got attention or uh, you're putting two and two together. You watch this movie and then this adult, so to speak, gives me attention. You know, it it it's mm-hmm. it's an, an introduction of sexuality into a, a, a realm and an age in which it does not belong uh, biblically, you know, right. and, and, and so and we've, we've, t- we talked about this before. I mean, you know, ch- child sexualization is nothing new. Alfred Kinsey uh, and Sigmund Freud were doing this, you know, in the mid 20th century in, in incredibly graphic ways with infants, uh, exploring human sexuality, but doing so in a way that treated sexuality as merely a biological or physiological function. Uh, you know, kind of like, where do we hit someone on the knee in order to get it To jerk, you know, to to see some kind of response. And so, but as as Christians and people who believe the scripture, we understand that sexuality is not merely a bodily function, uh, that it has ramifications connected not only to our bodies, but also to our emotions, to our psychology, ultimately to our spirituality, uh, because God gave sex for a specific reason and to be utilized in a in a specific setting for his glory and for our good. And so if, if you have a purely secular worldview uh, and sexuality is simply something to be celebrated or expanded, then it makes sense to even nominally defend uh, pedophilia or polyamory uh, in, in these shows. But I think the reason that this one is so prominent right now is because we're, we're on an edge. That's... The fact, you know the fact that this is a red flag shows that that's where we are as a society, and this mm-hmm. is this is where it's going to go. I mean, if 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 we're going to be completely consistent from a biblical worldview, we should be as upset with Netflix. For the for the show, I, f- I forget what it was that came out uh, last year about the marriage that came together and then and then broke up and you know and that got Oscar nominations, you know that h- upheld divorce. You know we should be upset upset with mm-hmm. any show that shows sex outside of marriage. We should upset with think you know um, Netflix has a lot of these shows. So if we're going to be completely consistent across the board, uh, we should be speaking up against all these things. Um, yeah, the the fact that cuties is such an issue right now it shows that this is kind of where we are in the cultural moment uh, where, where the battle is going to be hottest right now
0: well i think there's a lot of factors that point to this being one of the biggest issues on the horizon and, and and i'm not even sure that it's just that this issue is so important it's that this vehicle is so important not just with entertainment but let's take a step back for a minute and think about how many culturally progressive ideas have to do with children or that children mm. are the uh, target group. I mean, if you just think about the big issues in American culture today, you have we have this whole big argument right now about school curriculum. Why is school curriculum important? Because you get to teach all the children what to think about certain issues. If you think about gun rights, when did the gun uh, rights movement really take off well around the horrific school shootings that happened, whereas now you have children who are spokespeople for gun control um, if you think about transgenderism the 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 cutting edge at this point is whether or not minors have to have parental permission or whether or not uh you know we we had a bill in the Oklahoma House of Representatives this year. Where it was basically saying, should a healthcare worker be able to say to a minor, or should their parents be able to say that you should think twice about this? You should not take hmm. um, hormones. You should not have surgery, etc., at the risk of losing their license. And this and and this is under the guise of helping children. Of course, the most obvious one is abortion. I mean, a- abortion is obviously directed at children in the womb. So there are so many of our cultural issues that are directed at or that are being fought in the lives of children and part of the reason is because if you win the children you win the next generation i mean if you're able to to control what children think and what they're passionate about and what they're interested in then you're able to to create cultural change for decades And so I think that makes this even a little bit more sensitive. Not that 11-year-olds are necessarily the target audience for this movie, but that portraying this issue in the life of protagonists who are 11 years old, not to even mention the girls that were in this movie, but just as a cultural phenomenon continues that trend of focusing on and targeting children as the vehicles for social change. And that's something that's even bigger than the issue of pedophilia or objectification that I think in some ways secular people understand oftentimes better than Christians. And obviously I'm not talking about uh, Christians, their own children. I'm talking about society-wide that is a target group that has massive implications for the future and for social change, and there are a lot of avenues where this is happening.
1: Absolutely. And one thing that we've seen in uh, whether it be the, the transgender movement or the the homosexuality movement is that not only can you establish uh, a, a divergence of sexuality among the population in which it is brewing, but you can also use that to shame uh, further uh, generations or whatever. So it's not that you even have to wait for this war to be fruition uh, once these children become older, but, but, you know, if, if there's, and you can see, you can see it easily, you know, right now I say that the the age would be 18, the age of, you know, accountability, whatnot. there say, okay, well what about a 16 year old? Why can't a 16 year old love a 19 year old? You know, mm-hmm. and you start, you start with that argument and then who becomes the bad guy? What's well, the oppressive parents who won't let their daughter see that, you know, and mm-hmm. you can, you can see that movie coming up next. You know, that'd be very, that'd be very easy to make. Uh, but yeah. That, th- that would win some awards at Sundance, no doubt. <laughs> yeah. It'd be very European, very mm-hmm. European. But w- the Bible is very protective of children. Jesus himself was very protective of children and you can see it innate in a society, uh, as as you mentioned and talked about very very well with with education. There's there's something that we see about nurturing children that's innately special to us. But when you consider the things that we keep from children, you know, we, I don't allow my eight year old to have a driver's license, and it's not just because he has short legs and can't reach the pedals, you know. But there is a there is a functionality for the betterment of society, that we do not put children in that position. We do not give children alcohol uh, before the age of 21. You know, I'm not going to give my three-year-old a bottle of Jack Daniels because there are physical ramifications for that. We don't send our kids to war. Even though they're smaller, they could dig through the foxholes. You know, there's there, there are ways in which we protect our children because we recognize they are going to be more susceptible, whether it's physically or emotionally, to damage. And we recognize that we as adults are to protect them, not only because they have an innocence, um, but... But there's there's an innate sense of purpose there, and so I think that's how we have to look at this from a sexuality angle, just as we want to protect them physically, just as we um, – by not you know having them pour a bunch of alcohol into their bodies, uh, just because we don't want to equip them with a 2,000-pound vehicle driving at 75 miles an hour uh, because they're not – Able to fully handle those things um, when it comes to sexuality, and a child, an 11 year old, is not fully able to handle and to synthesize uh, sexuality on a level in which it is meant to be uh, understood. And and so that's that's where the discussion is, you know, where mm-hmm. it needs, why it needs to be had surrounding children.
0: Yeah. And and one of the things that's encouraging about this is that there is so much going on in the church. There's a lot of great pastors out there that are sensitive to this, that are preaching about this and talking about and training. And, um, of course, even as we're seeing the damage of abuse towards children in the church, this is one of the things that we're thinking about is how do we as a church respond to protect our children? And, Mm -hmm. um, one of the things I think that is really encouraging is this ministry that you're heading up now called Trust the Circle, and I would love to talk about both the experience of getting that up and going, the goals that you have for that, but also, um, you know, ending on uh, a few ideas where we really we really can make a difference here. This isn't just about boycotting Netflix. Mm-hmm. Although, if you want to do that, I think that's a great move. This this really is about culture change on the level of every individual Christian following and uh, being transformed by the work of the Spirit in their hearts. So, tell us a little bit about Trust a Circle and uh, the goals that you have with that, and then and then what we can do to push back against something like child sexualization.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well. Uh, it all comes down to in, in many ways a question of worldview. Whether the whatever the topic is, so you know, today the topic being sexuality, if you have no view of a sovereign authority over you or society or who makes any rules, if you see yourself as your own sovereign authority, then it it is consistent and it makes sense that you would then have urges and you would have feelings be the dictators of, of where one should go. Christians, however, have a worldview that says there is a creator. This creator is sovereign. He has created with a design, a function, and a purpose. And his designs, his functions, his purpose are good. And so um, when we when we look at at the lens of sexuality through the worldview of of Christianity, Um, what we see is that God has designed sex and sexuality and and marriage, and these these things are are, things that he talks about a lot in his word. The very first things that we learn about human beings in the scripture are in relation to their gender and sexuality. They're created to, to multiply and fulfill the earth, and, they're, you know, and God gave them the means to do that, and God created them male and female, and it reemphasizes that. Male and female, he created them. Why? So that they could fulfill this purpose. So, so sex from the very beginning, it was innately designed for that, for that purpose. And God in his goodness, you know, just like food tastes good that we need for our bodies, he gave us sex to be enjoyed. Within the covenant relationship of one man and one woman in all of life for the rest of life. That's that's what is detailed uh, in Genesis 2, 28. and Moses as he's as he's writing that even takes the time to pause from the creation narrative and say, therefore or you know because of this this is why a man leaves his father and mother and holds fast his wife you know that classic classic marriage text because of this the way God has created that's why we have this marriage and in the new testament when jesus is questioned about he's questioned about divorce or uh, you know any other aspect of marriage he always points back he says from the beginning is said uh, god created the male and female paul does the same thing so so there's biblically there's a foundation of um God establishing sex and sexuality, uh, as, as a certainty, something that is not fluid. And so, um, trust the circle is a way to that's, that's what the circle is. People say, okay, well, what's, what's the circle? What exactly are we trusting here? Uh, it's the circle is God's protective boundary and protective definition for sex and sexuality. Um, where this became an issue, for me was, uh, I was asked to talk about transgenderism, uh, at a, at a large camp in, in Oklahoma and as a Christian, Christian camp. And as I, I did, I encountered kind of what I expected from a lot of people, not everyone that goes there is a Christian, you know, and so, um, was able to kind of open up and have dialogue about it. But so many of the camp counselors and sponsors who are, university students usually in leadership at a, a Baptist collegiate ministry. Um, they're, you know there are really solid church kids. Uh, they came up and expressed thanks or questions or circumstances situations that they were involved in, which this was a major issue um, with which they have very limited equipping. Um, and so as part of, as part of my doctoral dissertation, I did some studies on, you know, exactly how often did your churches, how often did your minist- ministries that you grew up in talk about gender or sexuality? Mm-hmm. And um, w- without boring you with numbers and statistics, it was overwhelming at how little uh, the church had talked about or equipped these students about sexuality, because it's it's an issue that we've been afraid of in mm-hmm. the church. And so because of that, Uh, In developing one's worldview or developing an understanding of sexuality, the church's voice has been very silent. And so either we've thought, well, that must mean God's voice is very silent on it, or God doesn't care about it, or I know kind of these basic things, you know, uh, gay marriage is wrong, and, you know, there's just two genders. Okay, I know. I know these things. They have those things. But then, when encountered with an entire world that has an opposite worldview, or people that emotively and genuinely um, hold different views, it becomes really, really difficult for our young mm-hmm. for our young adults to understand. So, Trust the Circle is uh, an initiative, really, just to talk about what biblical sexuality is. Um, to. It, Expose kind of how it's it it work in the lives of people. There are so many champions of holy sexuality, and uh, what I mean by holy sexuality is um, staying staying within the circle, trusting God's circle uh, of protection. And that's not just uh, you know getting married and having two kids and a dog, um, but that's in a fallen world. There are going to be desires towards things that are outside of that circle. So whether that's being same-sex attracted, whether that's being married and being attracted to another person, uh, whether that's, per our discussion earlier, being attracted to children, being attracted to multiple whatever. You know, there's a wide assortment of things outside the circle. But I want to seek to uphold what the circle is so that when students experience or come into contact with any situation in which there's something outside the circle, they know clearly how to define it. And so there are a lot of people, uh, Beckett Cook, Christop- Christopher Yuan, um, Rachel Gilson, um, a lot of people who have maybe same-sex attraction or who have uh, gender dysphoria who are are recognizing, I understand this is my feeling, this is my draw, but I understand what the Bible says about gender and sexuality, so I'm going to obey the Scripture rather than my feeling or my desire. And in so doing, they are finding great life, uh, flourishing joy, contentment. um, And these aren't voices that have been at the table so to speak, in the cultural conversation about sexuality. So I've tried to introduce these voices mm-hmm. to the table uh, to really try to define what biblical sexuality is, because today, you know, we're going to fight against cuties. Uh, tomorrow, it, it'll be something else that's outside the circle. So in defining what the circle is, we can more accurately combat what may come down, come down the road outside of it. But it's, it's really an effort to equip young adults and anyone else uh, who would be interested to understand what biblical sexuality is, how it applies, and why it's good and can be trusted today.
0: Yeah, two of the things that, as we've talked about it leading up to launching this, that I think are just so important and so significant for the, the, the angle that you've taken with the ministry is, number one, this goes back to the character of God, okay? This is not a, a set of arbitrary commands designed to make Christians' lives difficult in a culture that doesn't understand them and opposes them on the issue of sexuality. Okay, so God designed human beings a certain way. He knows how humans are supposed to work because he is the creator. And the question comes down to, on a more fundamental level than do I want to do this or not, the question really is, can I trust God's character as both the creator and sustainer of humanity to know what is best for us? Hmm. So there's a lot of competing narratives, and I think this is one of the ways that Christians get all tangled up. Is the second point would be sexuality in in terms of your worldview formation, in terms of relationships, is almost always a social dynamic in your life. So it, it, it's not that most people are convinced by sitting down and looking at you know logic and truth tables on whether or not they think that same sex marriage is okay or whether or not they believe that, you know, people are born a certain way or people, you know, should be able to be the gender that they feel like they are inside. It's a matter of having a friend or a relative or a family member, a sibling, who, when confronted with these desires and feelings, decides to say, this is who I am, and if you can't agree with that or support me in that, then you don't support me as a person. Well, that's a terrible decision to have to make. And many, many people have come to change their mind on a topic like this, not because they've doctrinally changed first. It's because they've relationally encountered a dynamic they're not sure what to do with. And all of a sudden, then the doctrine even even almost um, implicitly follows along. And so putting those things together... This is really a question of do you trust that God knows what He's doing or not, both in your life and in the lives of other people that you encounter, and that completely changes the way that we talk about sexuality. It changes the way that we uh, work through different issues that we have in our own lives and people that we know. It, it brings a compassion to the table that we're not just doing this from a legalistic standpoint. We believe what we believe because we think it is God's best for us and for the people that we love. So. That dynamic is a little bit different than than how you hear this talked about in some other contexts.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and fundamental to this entire discussion is the point that we are all sexual sinners. Albert Moeller, president of Southern Seminary, he has said, if you're north of puberty, you're a sexual sinner, uh, whatever mm-hmm. that dr- draw is. So, uh, you know, I am married, I'm not same sex attracted. I don't experience gender dysphoria, but that does not put me above or in any way, uh, with some kind of ivory tower on, on someone who does, you know, if, if you walk into my office and, and say, I experience same sex attraction, um, uh, I should not, talk with you or counsel you any differently than if you walked in and said, you know, I struggle with this sin in my life. You know, the, the question is, has God spoken on it? What has he said? And as you said, do we trust that? And so clearly God has spoken about gender and sexuality in his word at length. And so we have to look at what does it mean? You're know, not, um, Not, I don't want you to love your sister that is gay, you know, but how can you best love your sister that is gay? Um, And making the argument for the idea that the most loving thing that you can do is help them align themselves with scripture where they will flourish. There is an avenue uh, through which they can say no to this desire and live a better life. And so Mm -hmm. that's one thing that I would hope that uh, heterosexual people would, would take about this is would take from trust the circle is that in the relationships that I encounter, I love that person best by pointing them to what God has clearly designed for gender and sexuality, even though that narrative is very counter to what our culture says right now. Uh, And so want to introduce that voice want to get want to get that idea so as, as you said so many people are caught between I want to love my uh, my homosexual neighbor um, but I also want to share the gospel with them as if those two things are separated mm-hmm. uh, we, what we want to say is that the, the gospel is entwined with trusting God God has spoken about gender and sexuality and in a fallen world we're gonna have those poles Towards what the the Greek term "pornéia" sexual sexual immorality, whatever that is, mm-hmm. um, but just because you have that pull uh, does not mean you have to follow it. It's not your identity, uh, and your life will be better if you trust God's design for your gender yeah. And sexuality.
0: But yeah, I think one of the biggest and most terrible lies of our culture is if you want to be free and you want to be whole, you should follow your feelings, you should follow your desires, you should follow mm-hmm. your um, urges. But what the Bible says is, no, the way to be free and the way to be whole is to follow Christ and to surrender to Him. And these really are two competing, mutually exclusive worldviews. Wherever you find yourself, whether it's we're talking about the discussion we had about cuties or whether we're talking about just the the, the desire to look lustfully upon a woman, the desire for somebody of the same Gender, uh, whether you feel like you're a different gender in your own skin. I mean, all of these things at root are a a set of competing desires. Do you want to be free and whole by following the flesh, or do you want to be free and whole by following God's plan? And that's why I'm so encouraged about what you're doing with Trust the Circle and why you know we'll link to the website and the Facebook page, obviously. And I'm looking forward to getting to partner both personally and, and as organizations in the future on the topic of how do we have God's best when it comes to sexuality uh, as Christians. So, Ryan, thanks for coming on and for talking about this, just beginning the conversation to talk about this, and, and thanks for your hard work in equipping and preparing Christians to live God's best when it comes to sexuality.
1: Well, absolutely. I think. thank you for the opportunity to, to talk about it and just to kind of, you know, do, do the plugs. Uh, trustthecircle.com is where you can learn more. Uh, you can follow us. You can go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash trustthecircle uh, on Twitter, trust underscore the circle on Instagram at trust underscore the circle. And, you know, I, I, kind of as a parting thought, I don't want Christians to be afraid of the conversation surrounding gender and sexuality. They're not as uh, scary as we might think, the, the ideas, and they're not as foreign as we might think. Every, everyone has a circle. For gender and sexuality, you know, even to the person that thinks, you know, yes, we should objectify eleven-year-old girls. Say, okay, should a man have sex with a dog? You know, let say, oh well, no. Say, okay, well, wh- why? What? What? What is that boundary? You know, and so we, we all have circles. The question is, how have we defined that circle? And for many of us, it's just shifting that from defining it ourselves, or for the culture defining that to allowing God to define that. So um, so yeah, it's, it's not a topic that's off limits. It's, it's something that we can engage and should learn more about.
0: Thanks for listening to the So We Speak podcast. If you like what you hear, go ahead and leave a comment, leave a review, email us, tell us what you like about it, tell us what you'd improve about it thanks to all you guys who are listening and we'll see you next week on the so we speak podcast